Welcome to the free sermon podcast of the Potter's House Church in Virginia Beach, affiliated with Christian Fellowship Ministries. Our vision is winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. It's Wayman Wednesday. That means you're about to hear a message from the founder of our fellowship, Pastor Wayman Mitchell. Even though he entered into his reward and is in the presence of our Lord, we still need to hear his clarion call to faithfulness, holiness, discipleship, and commitment to the cause of Christ. If you like what you hear, please support World Evangelism by subscribing to the premium version of this podcast for even more sermons. Links are in the show notes. Enjoy today's sermon. I want to add my uh, welcome to all of you, my appreciation for you coming to this conference. And uh, it is a great blessing to be a part of what you and I are a part of. If you have your Bibles, uh, turn with me to the book of 1 Samuel chapter 14, if you'll catch the scripture there. The greatest crisis of my entire pastorate happened in 2009. My wife and I were called to go to Beachboro, West Australia, take uh, charge of that church, uh, begin to uh, take charge of the Australian Fellowship. The former pastor had uh, left uh, taken 150 to 175 people with him, split that church. And as we went there, they had rented a hall five minutes from the Beachboro building and uh, planned to open a new church with those people in 30 days. This is the most stressful time in my entire lifetime. Uh, the uh, future of the Australian wing of our fellowship was uh, at risk, possibly the UK fellowship also. And uh, here we are, we launched into the middle of that. In five weeks, we are to do an international Bible conference there in that building. There's a question of money. There was a uh, question of who the players were. There was a uh, uh, absolutely... Uh, unbelievable dimensions at work. The very first service that I ministered, they had planned a demonstration to seize a microphone and begin to uh, create an upheaval in that. Uh, the pressure is unbelievable. The uh, dynamics that were at work were far beyond my ability. And I preach a sermon within the first few sermons I preached, probably the first or second. And the title of that sermon was, What Do You Do When You Don't Know What to Do? That was a self-testimony. <laughs> I'm trying to help these people to get some kind of handle on what's happening. There's uh, anti-American and uh, nationalistic uh, flavors being given to it. Uh, accusations of various kinds, and uh, uh, there we are in the middle of that. And uh, in the middle of that sermon, I realized uh, some dimensions that I brought into that sermon. I uh, passed this by our uh, workers at breakfast uh, a couple of weeks ago, and one of our new converts said, uh, uh, as an answer, I asked him, what do you do when you don't know what to do? And he said exactly the correct answer, which I came to in that sermon, which was, 
you do what you know to do. We're going to take a look this uh, evening at a uh, very interesting event in the scriptures, a, a crisis time in the people of God. And in crisis times, uh, there is an imbalance of many dimensions. There are four elements that uh, sociologists say we need to have a healthy mind or a balanced mind. Number one, as human beings, we need to love and be loved. Crucial. We are emotional people. And uh, when we're in the midst of conflict and people are uh, prophesying our demise and doing everything that they can do that, it's very hard to understand uh, that you need to love and you, need, and you are loved. The second dimension, they say, is that you need to accomplish something. We are people that are created with the divine uh, dimension. We need to see that our lives are counting or accomplishing something, and that's crucial. Thirdly, we need to be recognized for what we're doing by our peers. Uh, and fourth, and this is very, very crucial, is you need to venture in life. In other words, you need to be involved uh, that you're rolling the dice. You don't know how this is going to come out. You're just going to be involved and do it. And so here we are. Destinies are involved. Unbelievable dimensions are at risk. And this leads me to 1 Samuel chapter 14, verse 6. The people of God are in a crisis. They have 600 men with them. King Saul is leading them. They don't have weapons of war. They don't even have the ability to file their hoes and uh, their instruments for harvest, their scythes. The Philistines have them kept under dominion and captivated. And so this uh, 600 people, there's very few weapons that they have. If they're going to fight, it would have had to be with rocks and clubs. Uh, and this is a desperate situation. This brings us to... Read the scripture. Jonathan said to the young man who bore his armor, Come and let us go over under the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us. For there is no restraint to the Lord to save by many or by few. And his armor bearer said unto him, Do all that is in your heart. Turn you. Behold, I am with you according to your heart. Then said Jonathan, Behold, We'll pass over unto these men, these Philistines, and we'll reveal ourselves unto them. If they say thus unto us, tarry until we come to you, then we'll stand still in our place and we'll not go up to them. But if they say to us thus, come up unto us, then we will go up, for the Lord has delivered them into our hand, and this shall be a sign for us. And both of them disclosed themselves unto the garrison of the Philistines, and the Philistines said, Behold, the Hebrews come forth out of the holes uh, where they've hidden themselves. And the men of the garrison answered Jonathan and his armor bearer and said, Come up to us. We'll show you something. And Jonathan said to his armor bearer, Come up after me, for the Lord delivered them into the hand of Israel. And Jonathan climbed up upon his hands and upon his feet and his armor bearer after him. And they fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer slew them after him. And that first slaughter which Jonathan and his armor bearer made was about 20 men within, as it were, a half acre of land uh, which a yoke of oxen might plow. 
And there was trembling in the host, in the field and among all the people, the garrison and the spoilers, and also trembled. And the earth quaked, so it was a very great trembling. And the watchmen of Saul and Gibeah of Benjamin looked, and behold, the multitude melted away, and they went on beating down one another. Then said Saul unto the people who were with him, Number now, and see who's gone up from us. And when they had numbered, behold, Jonathan and his armor-bearer were not there. And Saul said unto Ahijah, Bring here the ark of God. For the ark of God was at that time with the children of Israel. And it came to pass, while Saul talked unto the priest, uh, that the noise uh, that was in the host of the Philistines went on and increased. Uh, and Saul said unto the priest, uh, Withdraw your hand. What do you do when you don't know what to do? What triggered this sermon was I had a call from a pastor, and he's having a very difficult time in ministry. Things aren't happening for him. He's fasted. He's prayed. He's done everything that he knows to do. Things aren't working for him. And he called me to see if I had any kind of indication that, that I might give to him that would help him to catch a handle on and give direction for he has. What do you do? when you don't know what to do. First of all, you need to venture for God. There are people in this tent tonight, and uh, many of you are at this place, here uh, where Saul and these believers were. You're at a stone wall. You don't know what to do. You're fearful to go forth. You're uh, absolutely at a loss. Well, I want to tell you there's something about venturing for God when you don't know how it's going to come out, but you're just going to launch yourself up to God, commit yourself to God, and there's something powerful about that that you need to understand that will give a breakthrough. Now, this is an entitlement generation, and this generation, uh, this generation wants a guarantee for security. And as they want a guarantee for security, they want uh, to serve self-interest, self-interest rules their lives, uh, and they never risk anything. They will never step out by faith. Uh, they will never launch off into anything that doesn't have all the guarantees that are with it. Uh, and the main thing that they ask in life, what's in it for me? Come with me to this situation for a moment, because life has no guarantees Say that with me. Life has no guarantees. Now hold that throughout the week, and we're going to see a tremendous conference. Listen to the words of Jonathan. It may be, in verse 6, that the Lord will work for us. God didn't come to Jonathan and say, if you step out, I want to guarantee you, I'm going to shake the earth. I'm going to defeat the enemy. I'm going to bring a victory. This is Jonathan. Jonathan is in the same place with all these 600 men. And he said to his armor bearer, it may be that the Lord will work for us. This same spirit is there in Joshua chapter 14, verse 12, a man named Caleb who said, Now therefore, give me this mountain of which the Lord spoke in that day. For you heard in that day how the Anakim were there, those are giants, and that the cities were great and fortified. If it so be 
the Lord will be with me, then I shall be able to drive them out, uh, as the Lord said. This is Caleb. Don't miss the big if that is in the middle of that quote that I just gave you there, because God this evening is a God of conquest. I said God is a God of conquest. This is what we're all about. This is what we need to lay hold of. And the land of promise is the land of promise, but the land of promise does not come to the, uh, the inheritors of that without conquering it because there's unrealized potential in the land of promise and you and I are involved in the land of promise in the gospel of Jesus Christ because God is a faithful God and the scripture says that the father of our faith is a man named Abraham and the Bible lets us understand that Abraham had to leave what he had and where he was uh, to begin to achieve what God had said uh, and what God uh, had promised. Here in Jonathan's situation, Israel's blocked from the faithful promise of God that gives that. Saul, his father, is there with 600 men. They're stonewalled. They do not have the weaponry uh, that is properly con to, to uh, conduct a war. And uh, they're there, and as they're there, uh, there's uncertainty that is involved. Uh, and as uncertainty that's involved, they're like some people that are in this tent here tonight. You came to this conference, you're uncertain. You uh, have a quote of the promises of God, but uh, you're not possessing that. You're not really doing anything to bring that to pass. There's pastors here in this tent tonight. You came to this crusade. God has given you workers that are willing to go. He's put resources in your hand. But the issue is, what are you going to do about that this week? Because in this opening shot, we need to make our mind up. We're going to gamble for God. Can you say amen? Some of you don't even know what gambling is. You know what gambling is? It's rolling the dice and saying seven come eleven. The kingdom of God thrives uh, on this business of adventure. Uh, and there are people that are here. You've got the workers. You've got the resources. But you're not willing to gamble. Uh, you're looking for a sure thing. I want to say to you as an old man, life has no guarantees. You're going to find times when you're going to have to do just what my wife and I did. We just launched off halfway around the world in another city to not knowing what we're going to run up against, not understanding all the dynamics, not knowing who the key players are, and we're going into a situation we have no knowledge of how this is going to come out, and that was a frightening time in our life. Now, the second thing that I want to point out to you is uh, you do what you know to do, and that is uh, that you need to seek direction from God. It's a wonderful thing to call your pastor. Can you say amen? Sometimes uh, people call me, and that's the first time I've heard from them since they needed money the last time. <laughs> In the book of Proverbs, chapter 18, verse 1, says, Through desire, a man having separated himself, seeketh and intermeddleth with all wisdom. This is a powerful statement uh, on isolation. 
If you're an isolationist, you're going to die. I can tell you that. Because you're going to come to a place uh, where you're desperately going to need uh, direction from your pastor. Right? And uh, if you're too proud to ask, uh, the book of Proverbs speaks about that. One translation of this says, He who willingly separates uh, and estranges himself from God and man seeks his own desire and pretext uh, to break out against all wise and sound judgment. And then 26 translation translates that, he who is estranged seeks pretext to break out against all sound judgment. So let's think about this for a moment because your pastor has the responsibility and also the desire to help you get through the rough places of life and only pride and isolationism would keep you from doing that. You see, you need to seek direction, and primarily that will come in the immediate term from God. But this also means that there is a crucial direction that God gives. One of the workers here says he called Greg Mitchell, and Greg's very good at giving direction. He's a very wise worker, and he says to this worker, you need to find out where God is. Well, that's tremendous. Uh, I don't know how many times I've done that. Because God cares more about you than anyone else that you know. And so as we look at this, James uh, nails the issue. In the book of James chapter 1 verse 5 says, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who giveth to all men liberally, and upbraids not, and it shall be given him. See, God is a reality. In the scripture it says God is the living God. What that means is that in a world that fastens on to philosophies and religion where there's no reality of a living God, many times worshiping idols and various kinds of false religion, God is a living God. That means that he can be contacted and... We operate in a spiritual arena, and we need to lay hold of God and seek God. Sometimes uh, it's only as we engage uh, this business of venture that God uh, is going to work for us uh, and is going to reveal himself. Think about this text for a moment. This is one of the most fascinating texts in the entire Bible. Jonathan is there. He is not willing to just sit on his butt uh, and let things go. He knows that God is God. He has a weapon. He has an armor bearer who is going to help him here. And he said, let's go up now and let's discover ourselves to these Philippine, uh, Philippines. <laughs> Philistines. <laughs> let's discover ourselves to these Philippine, uh, Phil Philistines. <laughs> and if they say, then we know that God is giving us direction. Now think about that for a moment. What a fantastic thing. He knows that God is God, but he knows that God is not going to just uh, uh, sit back and do nothing until he begins to invade the arena and uh, begin to lay hold of God. So he says, uh, now if they say, then we know that God's with us. Uh, and this was the thesis that he had. Because an interesting thing that you need to write down, God only guides those who are in motion. 
When he was looking for disciples, uh, he found men who were working, not men who were sitting, uh, fanning themselves under a palm tree. He found men who were working. Read the Bible. You'll find it there. And so God only gives uh, this kind of direction to men and women who are in motion. And we have this example uh, in Eleazar, who was sent up to Haran to find a bride for Isaac, Abraham's son. And as he goes up to find a bride, think about this now. He's going to go to a foreign country. He's going to find a bride among a certain class of people. And he doesn't know who this is going to be. And destinies depend on what this is going to be. So he prays. And as he prays, he says, I'm going to go and God, I want you to give me direction. And I'm going to ask this maid for a drink. And if she says, fine, I'm going to give you a drink. But also, I'm going to give water for your camels. I'm going to know that that's the one. Are you talking about profound uh, dynamics here? Camels can drink 32 gallons of water. I don't know how many camels he had, but he had uh, several more than one camel with him. And the Bible says uh, in the book of Genesis, uh, chapter 24 and verse uh, 27, I being in the way, the Lord led me to the house uh, of my master's brethren because he did ask this maid for a drink, uh, which isn't unusual for them to do that uh, as a common courtesy, but it's very unusual for a young woman to be uh, drawing 32 gallons for a camel. Uh, and it, let's just say he had three camels. Well, uh, that's not filling with 50-gallon barrels. Uh, that's filling out of a water pitcher that she could carry. But God was involved. So let's think about this for a moment. Uh, uh, unless we do what we know to do, God will never move in our behalf. That means that you're going to step out into something new if you're going to be a real Christian. That means something different than what you're doing, which is not paying off, and it's not bearing fruit. And so here we have the problem, because we want God to move, and then if God will move, we're like Saul. When Saul looks down, and the battle's already raging, and the, uh, the Philistines are falling upon one another, the earth is shaking, God's bringing an earthquake here. He says, quick, get the ark, find out what's happening here. And the priest is trying to find out, and he says, forget it, too late. The thing's already in motion. And so many people are waiting for God to move, and then they will begin to move. But God moves in people who begin to take him at his word uh, first. Call, Saul's calling for guidance. Too late. Jonathan's actions always triggered the, the thing that God wanted to do. Uh, and we have this wonderful example for us uh, tonight. So this brings me now to another thought as we're looking at this. Uh, and that is that if you're going to... Uh, find the mind of God, you're going to have to establish dominion. One of the most frequent calls that I give get is pastors who call, say, Pastor, how do you get dominion in your church? Well, if you don't have any dominion in your church, you need to go sell used cars. How do you get dominion in your city? How do you get dominion in your ministry? Well, 
that's something that you absolutely must get, but you're not going to get it just by sitting on your behind uh, because you have to establish dominion. Dominion is established. It's not automatic. Uh, so let's ponder this for a moment because uh, here is a crucial dimension. Young pastors and older pastors alike want some new thing. Now, when I say some new thing, I'm not, uh, I'm not uh, uh, going against the Bible. The Bible says in, in Isaiah, God promised that I'm going to do a new thing. But if you'll research that, you'll find out this is a fresh thing. So God promises a fresh thing. But the difficulty is that pastors, sometimes they want something that's unique. They want something that somebody's never heard about before. And up comes Toronto, Brownsville. Very interesting. We all survived Toronto, Brownsville, or at least most of us did. Can you say amen? We're like Johnny Cash. They would have killed us, but we got away. Toronto, Bronzeville was a false manifestation of the flesh, actually, is what it really was. And this appealed to three classes of people. First of all, this appealed to people who are not fruitful in their ministry. And this seemed like a magic formula, a magic bullet. Crank into this insanity and you'll have a wonderful move of God. A lot of excitement. It split churches all over the world. Many of the large churches in Australia split right down the middle because the leader of the Assemblies of God got involved in that. It appealed to people who are not fruitful. This is going to be the answer now. It's a magic formula. Secondly, it appealed to people who were wingnuts to begin with. You know what a wingnut is? It's a wingnut. And so these odd manifestations, uh, wearing dog collars uh, and uh, crawling around on your hands and knees uh, and all the manifestations, uh, uh, dogs barking. Uh, I've got a video somewhere in the archives. Uh, it's a live service of Pentecost uh, of, of uh, uh, Brownsville, uh, Pensacola. And you can hear in the background. That's God. You know, I'm not the brightest tool in the shed, but I'm going to tell you, you don't have to be very spiritual. No, that wasn't God. We had one pastor, and uh, he's pulling his church into it. And one of our pastors that uh, we sent in to uh, salvage it really quick before he got away with it, he's praying next to him. And as he's praying, this guy's going, Coo, coo, coo. He's a dove, you know. <laughs> then the third kind of people that that uh, appealed to was that the fellowship. That's who it is. It's Mitchell. He doesn't want revival. If he doesn't control it, why? Uh, he doesn't think it's God. And so that's the problem is the fellowship does this wrong. This is why it's not working for me. And so you have these things uh, from uh, uh, time to time, uh, and uh, uh, these appeal to this. So let's get down to the nitty-gritty here tonight, uh, because if you want dominion, you need to begin to think carefully about people who have dominion. 
I was pondering as I was preparing this sermon about Isaac. Abraham has died now. Abraham has dug wells there in the uh, uh, desert. And as he's dug these wells, digging wells established title deed to territory. He's pasturing flocks. And so Abraham drug, dug these wells. But in the process of time, the Philistines had plugged these wells up. The reason they plugged these wells up was that these wells gave them visible, open uh, testimony that they had the right to this territory for grazing their flocks and watering their flocks. Abraham dies. The Philistines have plugged these wells. Genesis chapter 26. And so as they plug these wells, these are symbols of dominion. Abraham took dominion, dug wells, and established dominion in the territory. He's no longer present now, and the Philistines have plugged these uh, because they no longer want to, to have evidence uh, of uh, the uh, priority of that. Now think about this for a moment because this has profound meaning. We have many young pastors that are here uh, this evening in this. Some of you are older pastors. And you don't have any dominion either. Listen carefully to what I'm telling you. Dominion is established and can be established and has been established. And you might want to look around at some of your older brethren and say that they, maybe these guys have something. You know, it's very interesting about young people. Young people think that they have to reinvent the wheel every generation, you know, that these old guys, you know, they... Who are they? They don't know anything. I, I remember uh, uh, in the, in the uh, uh, chat room in the uh, Facebook uh, wars that they, uh, the rumor went out that uh, Prescott uh, is in the dinosaur realm when it comes to electronics. Uh, what they meant is we weren't in on Facebook and the horse manure that goes over the electronic media. You might listen a little bit to some of the folks that are older because uh, we've dealt with a few problems through the years uh, and we still have dominion. I remember when I went to Perth and, uh, and we were involved there in 2009, uh, one of the hot shots that left our fellowship, he came through preaching for the rebel. rebel and as he preached, uh, what he was preaching was uh, uh, street preaching and Outreach, witnessing, and music ministry no longer works. Well, come some Saturday when you're sleepy to the 180 and we'll show you it does work. When did we begin this? I think we began this in 1970, late 70, if I recall correctly. It has been producing souls from that time to this. Many disciples have been trained there. Many of our finest preachers spent their discipleship there. It was working then. It's still working now. So you might begin to question some of the wise acres that know everything and don't have any dominion. See, dominion will help you in the time of trial. So here we have the issue. They begin to uncover these wells again. It's plugged them up. They dig, dig them up. The first one is Esek. 
The uh, terminology for that is quarrel. Or in other words, uh, these Philistines are contesting for that because they know that dominion comes in that territory. As long as that well is back open, uh, then Abraham dug it, Isaac redug it, uh, and they know that dominion is lost in that area. And so they're quarreling for that. They don't want them to do that. You know, many people, uh, very interesting, they, they get uh, interested. Let's talk about standards for a moment. You know what standards are? This is what you don't like. And we have wiseacres. You know, oh, they're smarter than all the older generation. That uh, these old standards, these are legalism and Mitchell, you know. He's so, he's so beyond uh, us, you know. He's over the hill. And he's, he, maybe he'll die before this conference is over. And so, uh, and, and so uh, these standards, they upset people, you know. Because uh, there's rules that you live in. Uh, don't we hate rules, if you drive home tonight, you're going to obey the rules. If you don't, we have policemen just waiting for you. If you join the army, they have rules. Can you say amen? If you're wise in your household, you'll have rules. Otherwise, you're raising a bunch of convicts and spend their life on, in drugs and in prison. So if you want dominion, then you're going to have to press through and... This is what Isaac was doing because he knew that dominion depended on him establishing those wells. He digs another well. This well is called Sitna, and it's actually enmity. Now, everybody that hates me doesn't stand up and say, ah, I hate you. They smile and shake my hand and say, you know. But you see, I'm not stupid. I stand for what I stand for. And before you uh, smart off that you're smarter than what we are around here, you might hold the fort for about 45 years. And you might see some 2,200 churches planted. They keep pressing on, and finally they dig another well. It's called Rehoboam, and this means room. In other words, the dominion has been contended for, and it's been established, and this brings fruitfulness for your ministry. So think about this for a moment, because you're not going to just have a harvest dropped in your lap with no contention. The devil hates this tent. The devil hates what we're doing here. I was talking with Ike Cook, who's served us for many years here, and he says, the minute anybody says, I'm involved with that tenant, look out, he says, because there's going to be a problem. They, they have some kind of sickness tries to come on them or so on and forth because the devil hates what we're doing here. And finally now, they dig wells in Beersheba. Beersheba is a very interesting place. Beersheba, there's seven, seven artesian or springing wells in Beersheba. has a great, rich history that you can do. So let's bring this down to the end for a moment because we're talking about dominion. If you want to do what we do, you have to do what we do. So, well, I'm getting away with this. Uh, 
Don't boast yourself too quickly. The scripture says, let not him that puts his armor off boast like him who takes it off. Certain dimensions, certain principles, certain standards, uh, and certain uh, approaches uh, will bring for you fruitfulness in the long-term dimension. If you want to be what we are, you must do what we do. So let's think about this for a moment, uh, because here is a... uh, A few little hints that I have put out tonight. This is the most crucial time of my entire life. Destinies are at stake. Whole wings of the fellowship are at stake. And I don't know what to do. I have to be very honest with you. We have a conference in five weeks from the time I land there, an international and national conference. I don't know if we have any money. I don't know who the players are. I don't know what's going to happen. But I said, God, you're just going to have to help me. I don't know what to do. I just did what I know to do because what I know to do had been helping me in Prescott and God undertaken that place. One of the greatest miracles that I've ever seen in time or eternity. God. And there is in that place today a thriving, throbbing church pastored by Tom Payne, launching young men out, launching young men out. I used to go down to McDonald's, get two uh, uh, French fries packets and a cup of coffee, set it to a table, and any time from 6 to 15 men would come, and they're asking questions nonstop. Uh, And one of these young men said to me, Pastor Mitchell, When you came here, we just wanted to make money and buy houses. Now, we all want to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And quite a few of those young men are pastoring today because uh, you need to do what you know to do when you don't know what to do. I want every head bowed, I want every eye closed. Thank you so much for listening to the sermon podcast of the Virginia Beach Potter's House Church. Were you blessed by today's message? Let us know. Please leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts or on Podchaser. We'll be back next time with another life-changing word from heaven. God bless. God bless.